1: We're broadcasting in this our ninth year across the world from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment, 13 shows to go until 400 shows. Blimey, it's a lot. Are you addicted to your phone? Are you one of those people that wakes up in the morning and can't wait to look at Facebook or Instagram to see a photo of what your friends had for breakfast. As anyone who lives in a city knows, public sidewalks these days, there are free-for-all pedestrians straggling along, staring intently at the screens of their phones, catching up on information that is absolutely no use to anyone. And as well as infuriating other pedestrians, we've all seen the videos of people falling on... The, on the ground, walking into poles, falling into fountains, falling into manholes. I've even seen one person be hit by a car. Now, to avoid that fate for its smartphone addicted residents, Bodegraven, a town in the Netherlands, is trying out a pilot program where they put the traffic lights where everybody's looking on the pavement. How ridiculous. Bodagraven has installed LED light strips on the sidewalk that synchronise with traffic signals and turn red or green at pedestrian crossings so that people can't miss them even if their eyes are cast down towards their smartphone screens. The company hopes to spread the idea to other towns and cities across Europe if the trial is successful. The attraction of social media, games, WhatsApp and music, it's all at the the expense of attention to traffic. As the government cannot easily reverse this trend, they've decided to fit in with the morons who are addicted to their phones. On the surface of it, it may sound like a good idea, but encouraging people to look down when they're walking It's just making the matter worse and it's not going to stop these idiots from falling down holes, drowning in a fountain or becoming roadkill. Surely it's time to stop being a nanny state. You know, just walk in a poles or get run over by a car. Well, tough. Now, here's something I bet you don't know. The short form Chinese video app, TikTok, was bigger than Instagram last year after passing 1 billion download mark across the world. TikTok was downloaded more times than Instagram last year. And amazingly, just over 40% of the apps 2018 downloads came from India. And this billion download figure did not include Android installations from China. So the real number of installs is likely to be maybe double that, which would make it three times bigger than Instagram. But even, even that, it's the fourth most downloaded non-game app for 2018 behind WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, and Facebook. TikTok's extremely popular with children and pre-teens, And for some reason, it's really taken off in the Indian market. This year to date, the last three months, 43% of the app's new users were from India, up from only 9% in the same period last year. You wonder what's driving it, wouldn't you? I bet they probably do know. TikTok's rise has been meteoric. And in September 2018, it outstripped Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Snapchat in total downloads. That's amazing. And they've launched a new safety feature which allows users to filter certain keywords out of their comment sections, accompanied by a series of educational videos about safety on the app. Considering the age of their audience, this is probably a really good thing. Now, my producer just sent me a little note saying the reason Facebook Messenger is so high is because Facebook makes you download it in order to message a friend, therefore boosting its number. See, my producer's a really smart guy. I thought he just um, sat there and had a beer or something while I was on, but I guess not. He actually sounds like he listens. Do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We now have about 1.7 million daily subscribers, which is a hell of a lot. And the newsletter takes just 30 seconds, and every day we tackle a different subject. We talk about blockchain. We talk about cryptocurrency, autonomous cars, hyperloop, new technology, medical advances. We talk about all sorts of stuff. Today's newsletter tells you everything you need to know about Apple's launch yesterday. You know, they launched their new streaming service, the new game subscription service, and the new Apple credit card. If you're an Apple devotee, or even if you're not, this newsletter's a must-read, but it's too late because that was today's. I'm not sure what tomorrow's is this. I write them a week ahead, so I'm not sure about tomorrow, but it'll be good. Now, facial recognition software from Baidu, China's version of Google, is currently being used by diddy which is china's equivalent to uber to allow customers to confirm the identities of their drivers and it's being deployed in high tourism cities to provide ticketless access to attractions and chinese security officials are deploying the technology to hunt down criminal suspects by drawing from its national id database as well as images collected from public security cameras that are right across the country, you know, it's so effective. The facial recognition can actually pick out a single person in a crowd of a million people in Times Square on New Year's Eve from a mile away. So from a mile away, it can pick out a single person and identify them in a crowd of a million people pretty scary in China's tech capital which is Shenzhen the local subway operators using facial recognition subway access so when you enter the station your faces are scanned and where they'd normally have tapped phones or subway cards which happens in the rest of the world their fare then goes automatically deducted from their LinkedIn accounts so they need to register your facial data beforehand and link it to a payment method to their subway account. But it's pretty cool. Now, many major Chinese cities have extensive surveillance camera systems that log citizens' faces, ages, genders, and how long they've been staying in the area, which enables you to really control your population. And at KFC stores across China, people can scan their face to buy fried chicken. It's pretty cool. Instead of paying with cash or a credit card, the transaction's processed. After the customer walks in, smiles into a self-serve screen, the 3D camera scans the customer's face and confirms the identity. As long as you're a registered customer of the Apple Pay group, you're all good to go. That makes it really easy, doesn't it? Alipay's face recognition technology is also deployed at hospitals. And, you know, somebody's got to do something about hospitals. You, you fill in the same pieces of paper about 10 times. All of the transactions are conducted at self-service terminals without using phone or cards in less than 10 seconds. And once you're in the system, you're in the system. doesn't matter where you go. And Shanghai's International Airport now uses facial recognition for their automated clearance system. They're they're experimenting with that here at LAX. I think it's Delta. But so far, it hasn't gone into widespread use. In just 12 seconds in China, passengers can send their ID cards and use their facial recognition technology to complete security. They also use facial recognition to match passengers to their belongings and luggage. Now, I think that's a great idea because here in the US, you could just walk in off the street and take anybody's luggage off the carousels. There's no control whatsoever. And then there's the ultimate facial recognition technology. It determines what ads to serve you when you walk past a billboard that's interesting now here's yet another piece of good news ex-con app developers xcon app developers are disrupting price gouging prison phone companies pigeonly inmate aid and flickshop which are prisoner app phone apps now have millions of users and are poised to disrupt the actual prison phone company's decades-old monopoly. They're all started by ex-inmates. They give inmates and their families a more affordable way to stay in contact. And they bring prisons out of the digital stone age without sacrificing security. You'd think that emails would be the answer to inmates communicating with loved ones, wouldn't you? Prisons often have a 1,000 plus inmates share 15 computers that have their functionality reduced, I suppose so they can't organise out to rob a bank when they get out, that charge 5 cents a minute to get online. So before you say, wow, 5 cents a minute, that's not bad. But many prisons in the United States pay just 8 cents an hour for labour. That's equivalent to someone on average wages paying $14 a minute to use the computer. It is outrageous. Now, prison phones have been controlled by the same three companies for the past 30 years, allowing them to charge ridiculous amounts for calls, and they pull in over $1.2 billion a year. Now, Letters are often the easiest communication for inmates to receive, but letters, while they're easier for inmates because they're sitting around doing bugger all, all day, they're a pain in the ass for friends and family to write letters when they naturally do everything digitally. This means that people who are incarcerated, they just often lose touch with the outside world because they don't get letters. They make it all the more difficult to re-enter society when they get released. Now, new apps offering convenient, low-cost communication services are thriving, all built by ex-cons and run by ex-cons. It lets them connect at much lower rates for a monthly fee, and they've got a couple of million users. They bridge the gap between digital and physical, letting loved ones take pictures through an app then automatically printing and mailing them to inmates at a low rate. I think that's fantastic. You know, the whole prison system needs to be totally revamped from top to bottom. Everything about it stinks. Private prisons stink. The fact that people can have a monopoly on phones in prisons stinks. The disparity in in Sentencing stinks. It really needs a big revision, but too many people are making too much money. Now, my interview today is with Tabitha Laser. She's a multifaceted professional. She's described as a leadership rock star, and she travels around the world, helping firms become more efficient. I got a copy of her latest book a couple of days ago, and I've read about half of it. It is terrific. I can really recommend it. This is Bob Pritchard and I'll be back with Tabitha in just a moment.
0: You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at
1: bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the past eight years or so, and some 400 plus interviews, we've tried to give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people. We've talked about what they do the challenges that they faced, how they've overcome those challenges. And underneath it all, I guess, what we're trying to find out is what is it that makes them tick? What makes them special? 98 out of every 100 new businesses fail. And that's a pretty high success rate. So what do those 2% do that the other 98% don't do? Because irrespective of what business you're in, Everyone that's an entrepreneur or a business executive faces the same issues and challenges that their peers face. And that's why it's very important for all entrepreneurs, in fact, I guess everyone in an executive position, to listen to interviews like this and read biographies of people who are successful so we can take advantage of things that work for them and avoid the things that don't. Now Tabitha Lace is a multifaceted professional with over 25 years of leadership experience in quite a wide range of industries. She's been oil and gas, energy manufacturing, agriculture, construction, and a whole heap more. You go to a website and she's described as a leadership rock star that travels the globe helping firms become more efficient. Now, her diverse backgrounds provided provided with numerous opportunities to work with government agencies, gee, that must be inspiring, and some of the world's largest companies, including Fortune 500 companies like BP, 3M, and General Mills. Her experience in education have fueled her passion to help shape the next generation of leaders, especially millennials, and I guess Gen Zs, to avoid the pitfalls of their predecessors, and lead beyond best. Tabitha is the author of Organization Culture Killers. That's new book, Organization Culture Killers. This is the first of a series of leadership books that she calls the Deadly Practices. Hi Tabitha, welcome to the Bob Pritchard radio show. You're being heard right around the world.
2: Awesome, thanks for having me, Bob. I'm excited to be here.
1: It's a pleasure. You've got, when you go to your website, it is unbelievably impressive. You have done Thank an you. <laughs> extraordinary amount of things. Um, so congratulations on that. Now, we know that the corporate culture of a company flows down from the top and a strong corporate culture is critical to the success of any business. If you don't have a good corporate culture, it doesn't matter how good the rest of it is, it'll fall apart. Um, how did the title for your new book, Organisation Culture, I have trouble saying that, Organisation Culture <laughs> Killers, how did that come about?
2: Yeah, so there's a, there's a couple reasons that came about, but one of them is I'm a huge fan of horror horror movies, Halloween, everything else, and I know that there's plenty of books out there that say you know, this is the, the best, this is great, this is the, the thing you want to be to be a leader. And I didn't want to be another one of those. I want this book series to really grab people's attention. Right. So they go, wait a minute, what What are the things that we're doing that are causing these problems with our culture? And in all honesty, you can't kill a culture, but I believe you need to have a strong foundation in order to have a culture of success that delivers sustainable success. And so what you can do is allow deadly practices to destroy your foundation and prevent a culture of success from delivering what you want. And And so organization culture killers is really about those practices that leaders put in place and a lot of times with the best intentions, right?
1: Sure. That
2: ends up damaging their culture and killing their ability
1: to sustain success. I think most people don't realize that... um the success of a business depends on everybody that works in the business, and that goes for everybody from a receptionist through to the CEO. And I'm not putting receptionists right. down here. I'm just saying everybody in the organisation. No, even
2: even, yeah, even the guy who cleans the toilet.
1: Absolutely, people yep. and people and people, <laughs> and people don't realise that. And um, you know, and if the if the, I, I remember a good story. A, a few years ago, I walked into. Dick Clark, you know who's got an American bands mm-hmm. and all that. I walked into his office, and I was sitting in the reception waiting. And everybody had told me, you know, just how tough and whatever Dick Clark was. So, and I'd, I was sitting there, and, and Dick Clark walked through the front door. He'd just come in from lunch, and uh, he came up to me and he said, "Has anybody offered you a cup of coffee?" And I said, "No." And he said, "Well, let me go and get you one." so he went away and got me a cup of coffee and came back and I thought here's a guy who's running a billion dollar business and yet he's got time to think about people that are coming to see him and um, bring you a cup of coffee and I and ever since then I've been singing the praises of Dick Clark and his organisation um, <laughs> and it's a little thing but other people in the organisation notice it and follow suit and and it spreads.
2: Yes. And yes, for sure. Having strong leaders will
1: definitely help organizations succeed. And, and, and good good leadership, unfortunately, spreads less quickly, I mean more powerfully but less quickly, than a cancer. If you've got a cancer in the organization, somebody who is setting a bad example, that will spread much quicker than somebody who's setting a good example. Correct. Now. So horror movies is your big your big thing, right? You love horror movies.
2: <laughs> I have since I, I was ten and watched my first horror movie,
1: yeah. love <laughs> <little> the <Is>, thrill. <laughs> is that um is that because of your Cajun roots you've got that sort of New Orleans um occult thing happening? <laughs>
2: No, no. I, I I don't know exactly, but I'd almost say uh, it probably spawns back to when I was three, um, and it feeds into the book as well, but when I was three, my first childhood memory is my father uh, teaching me how to siphon gasoline out of his vehicle so he could light the barbecue pit because he'd run out of lighter fluid, and... In doing that, he actually, um, in front of me, three years old. I had twin brothers who were just six months old at the time. Uh, threw the gasoline on the barbecue pit. I guess some of the coals had caught earlier when he was yeah. trying to light it, and it flashed back, and his emb- entire body got engulfed in flames. And, slain, and uh, I had to watch him almost die in front of me. Hmm. And I think my love of horror is really it goes back to that, like it's real it's it's scary and you need to keep those things top of mind even in horror movies you learn something from them even if they're goofy right you can you can learn from you know don't walk alone on a city street especially if horror movies you know you got the eerie music playing in the background so <laughs> I think I really cling to those as, as ways to learn how to not put myself in those situations <laughs> I think I could be wrong but uh, it just resonates with me
1: so, yeah, I, I I've learned a lot from horror movies. I've learned that I'm a wuss. <laughs> 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 they scare the hell out of me, and I can't sleep for months. Um, so first lesson was was siphoning gas out of a gas tank, and I guess you've never paid for gas since, right?
2: Uh, well, I've never siphoned gas out of a gas tank. That's for sure. Um, but it, it, you know, it really—it's one of those things that at the time he thought was—you sure. know—this is a good practice. He taught his three-year-old daughter how to do it. Yeah. And and you look, and it's not right. There's better ways to do things, obviously. And and again, it all just adds up. I think because of my Cajun roots, I've experienced more done wrong than most people (laughs) and a lot of it's myself or my family so i've had lots of opportunities to learn in addition to my multiple different you know organizations roles uh just just in my own
1: world (laughs) i think most of us do it's just that most of us don't up to the don't own up to them i think that's the difference so what are the top three mistakes that companies are currently doing that are killing cultures and, and what do they do to go about fixing that, these?
2: Yeah. Yeah, so earlier you mentioned that, you know, it, it starts from the top down and if as I really got into writing the the first book, which actually was going to be one book and now it's turned into a set of books with multiple uh, ver- issues inside of each set, but... What I, found, what I really came to realize is it's not top down. We lead oh, really? bottom up. Oh no, we need to flip the script. And that's one of the first mistakes we make. When we think we're at the top and we sit up in our glass you know, tower and, and bark orders, that's wrong. We need to look at our senior leaders, our C suites, our investors as the folks who, who, who actually find the site to build the organization on which I call defining success and they lay the foundation for success by defining their expectations to get to success and so they're actually on the bottom they are defining the foundation they make up the foundation and they're responsible for building the organization on top of that foundation and I think where we fail because we think top-down is that we don't realize that if we don't have a strong foundation as we build and we grow, it starts to crumble. Or okay. you know, we build on a, if we don't have a good definition of success, say we, we build, our, our, build our organization on quicksand, it will begin to sink. Yeah. And and so if you look at it that way, I think that will really help leaders understand that that foundation is critical. You can do whatever you want. You can have the best leader in the world. But if you don't have a strong foundation built on a solid solid land, then Mm -hmm. any change, the wind blows, right? Think of the the three little pigs, right? The wind blows. Your business is going to come crumbling. And I think that directly feeds back into that 98% failure rate because we jump into our business with these grand ideas. And a lot of times you may have a great leader who can build it up quickly, but they don't actually lead and inspire folks to continue that on a solid foundation. And, you know, if they get burnt out, if they get hit by a bus, um, if they don't adequately build the bench to, you know, as they build on top of that foundation, it's not going to work. It's right. not going to work. And so we have to change the way we think of leadership. We okay. are the foundation, we're at the bottom. Okay. Everybody else is at the top and they deliver success.
1: Okay, so that's that's the first mistake. What other <laughs> mistakes do we
2: make? Ready for the next one? Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, okay. Another one is, let's say we do build a strong foundation or what have you. We don't always make thoughtful decisions or well balanced decisions, and and a lot of that is actually getting worse. If you if you see, it's almost like it's an epidemic where we're going down this negative cycle where it seems like things are getting worse and worse and I think that's big data related I love it but at the same time hate it because the more big data is available whether it's good or bad data it's it's making leaders feel like they need to act now to avoid the negative repercussions and they do it a lot of times without thinking through the impacts of their decisions
1: if that makes sense does it make decision-making far more complicated because you have so much more data to um, yeah. cloud up your decision? Yeah,
2: Yeah. and I think we can simplify how we make decisions very easily by taking a balanced approach. And that's one reason I actually invented and have patented a decision impact scale where it says it's not just a yes or no when you make a decision, any decision in life. It's going to apply to your 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 community, your church, your company, government, whatever it may be. but you really need to take what I call the three p's into account, which are the people that work for you or work with you. You need to take the performance of the organization. what What are those expectations you have to deliver to be successful per your definition? And then you also have to take the public into account, which is your environment, uh, your shareholders, uh, your market, Right, you have to take all three of those into account, and there's multiple factors all into those. But when you're making that decision, if you if you sit down and think about those, right, my scale is like a round scale, uh, like a circular scale, and if you, you have the three points, and if you say, okay, we're going to implement this information management system, for example, to answer all these problems, and you go, here's what it's doing, and it's going to help get the data, and it's going to help with performance. But then you look and go, wait a minute. How is this going to? Uh, it, it will get, it will sink on one side, right? As right. you put more into the performance, sure. and you'll see the other two areas go up, and that's where you you have increased risk. So you need to consider those and either put controls in place to keep it balanced, or put mitigations in place so if something bad happens, you have less severity. Yep. So it's really simplifying a risk management process or risk assessment process. And I think that will help leaders, you know, in a group of people sitting around a table, say, this decision, we want to make it, what do we need to consider? Uh, One person making a decision, like, you know, you could be looking at, do I, am I going to get divorced or whatever the case may be? You can use that same approach to say, what are the impacts going to be? Is it all about me or who else? And what other factors do I need to consider? And I think we need to change the way we make decisions. So we do take the risk into account every time.
1: Okay. What's the third mis- major mistake people make?
2: The third mistake I think we make is we we confuse leadership and management. And believe me, I've had many heated discussions
1: about this. <laughs> yeah, I was, in, it was we, going to be the next question I raise. Yeah.
2: So... <laughs> What what we do across the world in most cases is we educate managers, directors, and bosses. I mean, if you think about it, we go to school, we're given homework assignments, we're told to turn in papers, we're told to take tests, walk in single file line, follow the instructions, be quiet, pass you know, pass this exam, do what you're told. Even in the military, here, we have we have leaders. But those type of leaders are really more directors, right? Demand and control, you die if you don't do what I say. That's not leadership. And and I I know this firsthand because I thought I was a good leader, but I always had the same challenges until an actual leader stepped up. He was from Scotland. And he stepped up, and he said, I see your potential, but you don't know how to be a leader. And we went through everything I've done, and I've done tons of leadership training. He said, none of of that's helping you, you know. And he sent me off to a leadership training that was the best thing I've ever gone through. And I was with other world leaders in this very expensive uh, program, um, secluded, right, off in this mansion in the highlands of Scotland. And I came out of that going, oh, I had so much wrong. And these were like, they helped me answer the questions that I kept asking every review I ever had. I was like, what am I doing wrong? How can I fix it? How can I get better? I know, I know where we need help, but I don't know how to get us there. And that training was not the end all, be all, but what it did was open my eyes to the fact that we really don't educate leaders. And we have a significant gap in leadership development materials and tools. There are a lot of natural leaders, and a lot of them develop those skills by the situations they grow up in, right? Whether they're raised by good leaders or they fall into situations where they have to step up and be a good leader.
1: So what is is a good leader? I mean, I I look um at… the people that I admire the most are the people like the Steve Jobs and the Elon Musks and people who are inspired. I went to a, a, an Apple conference once and if um, Jobs had have said, okay, follow me, single file, we're all going to go to the Grand Canyon we're going to jump mm-hmm. off, I probably would have gone um, mm-hmm. because it's sort of you follow him anywhere. And yet, and those people are very rare but they certainly inspire companies. Is that leadership, or is that something totally different? Because there's very few of those, but not anybody can be taught to be a good manager, Mm -hmm. administrator, but a hell of a lot more people can be good managers, administrators, than can be good motivational leaders, if you like, which is the most important?
2: Right, and so, interestingly enough, I'm an awful manager. Because I don't, I don't know if it's my ADD or what it is, mm-hmm. but I'm an awful detail manager. But I can lead thousands. I've, wow. I've always had that skill, right? Even though I upset, I rock, I upset the boat a lot. Yeah. And I think the Steve Jobs and the Elon Musk are good leaders in one aspect because they are visionaries and they do inspire people. They're the ones, though, unfortunately, are missing the half of the leadership skills that actually develop their staff better than they are. So if they're hit by a bus, they can continue on that journey, right? And they bring on the right people. They are the leaders that they want to be the leaders, and they don't want anybody to really challenge that. And we see that, right? We see that with Apple right now and some of their struggles, because of Steve Jobs
1: left where the innovation's kind of flowing, right? That, that's interesting because I think people would say that Tim Cook is a sensational manager and he's done a fantastic job with the company from a management point of view yes. since he took yes. over. But he, he couldn't lead a choir. Um, right. You know, and, and that's why all the talk in this town is about um, Apple probably buying Tesla so they can get Musk because that's the missing ingredient. So, in that case, if that happened, who would be? Who's the most important leader? Tim Cook? Or, yeah. Or yeah. no? So you,
2: they're trying they're trying to fill a void, right? So Elon Musk is the innovative type leader, but he's still another Steve Jobs. So yeah. they can fill the void, but they're putting themselves back in the same position. Yeah. Right. That they they need to innovate internally and have developed their internal staff and identify those leaders, which ironically, a lot of really good leaders are shunned because they're the ones that are trying to do things at a larger scale to bring people up and make them better. So a lot of times they're looked at like, what are you doing? I don't see you doing this task day to day. Why aren't you out there managing people? You know, why aren't you doing this? And when they do things that are n- n- having major impact, they're they're not giving credit for it. And a lot of times they won't take credit for it. Really right. good leaders won't take credit. But they'll also be the first ones that are fired because
0: well, that's
2: the, the, inno- <laughs> the, well, the innovators and the managers up there don't see the value of what they're doing. And again, I go back to that, that we don't educate leaders. And the big... The biggest thing I, I see missing from leaders is once, it, it, There's a couple of things. One is that, that humbleness, right, to where I don't have to be the best. I know if everybody around me is better than me, then we're going to get better. They're, they're, I'm going to lead them, but ultimately they're they're running the ship, right? They're yeah. getting us there. And that's one thing. And the other thing is communication. So leaders, a lot of times, they, they, they go through the school of hard knocks. They learn the hard way. They forget that not everybody else has. They get up there. They make a lot of assumptions about what people think about them and their ideas. Um, and a lot of times, they incentivize things that actually hurt their business. And they forget how to communicate, right? They may be able to communicate with the media and everything else, but they forget how to communicate with people, real people in a way that they learn and grow. And that was my biggest learning from that training was, wow, I had to learn who I was before I could even try to understand who others were so I could see their potential and then help them develop into what they want to be, what they'd excel at, so that they could make me look better, Right. Yeah, that's, that's leadership, and the humbleness is to be able to step back and say, "I don't need the credit for it. I just want to get the message out there, and want to help people develop." And uh, that's that's really, I think, what we're missing is learning how to communicate better, learning how to put the egos aside, learning how to learn, do right, you, and also learning how to share. Do you
1: do you think that the managers? that are, or leaders and managers that are sort of 45 pluses, which I guess is most people apart from the tech industry, um, are pretty set in their ways. They're not that, you know, they're not that um, adaptable to change and they are always protecting their ass. So (laughs) that, that becomes the most important thing for them to do. Do you agree with I, you I think not?
2: that's humans. I think that's human beings, right? I was thinking about this earlier before we talked, uh, and honestly, every single human being, even down to the the person cleaning the toilets, they're doing <laughs> they're 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 making sure they have food on the table. Their families are taking care of. They're doing what they need to cover their ass, right? So yeah. and, and it doesn't matter what level you're at. It just becomes more inflated as they do raise the ranks because they get more, they have more influence over more people. And so I think that's, yeah, it's human nature, right? We want to have our own agendas. That's what we do. Even in politics, there are tons of politicians with the best intent. Believe me, I've talked to a bunch of them and I can't say who they are because they told me they'd be fired for talking to me. But they they have so many concerns. And I do, I, I speak with hundreds of senior leaders and stuff to try to make sure it's not just my message. I'm sharing the learnings from many, and I don't. I don't think that it's that's. I don't think it's that so much the problem as much as they don't understand the impact of how they approach things in a way that they see the destruction they get they're causing that way. Right? They think they're doing things towards their agenda, which a lot of things, times are backfiring. Yeah. And I don't think they see that. They don't understand that. And also, you know, we, we do. We, we have learned the hard way a lot. And a lot of times we hold that close to the chest, as you mentioned earlier, because we don't want to admit our faults. Yeah. Right? We get up there. We don't want people calling us out on what we do wrong. We want them. Look at Facebook, for gosh sakes. Everybody's beautiful and
1: life is perfect. On Facebook. (laughs) And they all have great meals and wonderful pets. What a dreadful waste of humanity Facebook is.
2: Right, right. (laughs) And if you put something negative, watch out. The backlash is awful. (laughs) (laughs) Believe me, I've been there and done that. I try, you know. So I don't have a mute button. So it comes out, it's going to come out. But I think that's part of the problem is that we have to stop looking at failures and stop looking at the lessons we learn the hard way from our mistakes as a bad thing. It's a so huge, we need to change the way we look at that. It's positive guys. How do, you get, it.
1: somebody, how do you get somebody who's 40 plus has put in the hard yards and busted their ass for years and years and years. How do you get that person to change?
2: Yeah. So I do, I do a lot of coaching with those individuals. Um, and really I'm sharing what I learned in that leadership training that I went through. Um, but in coaching and sitting with them and listening to what they, what, they, what their agendas are and what they want and where they want to be, a lot of times it's just a matter of listening and then trying to understand where they want to be and communicating with them to areas where what they're doing may be jeopardizing what they want. Right? Right. And in doing that, they come up with their own ideas on how to address those issues. And you'd be surprised. I mean, my, my dream is to, is to have time with Donald Trump, to be honest, because I see so, probably going to get apples or tomatoes thrown at me, but I see so much potential in that man. He has so much passion, but I don't think he's, he's necessarily received the coaching and guidance that would help him really achieve what he wants, and he and you can you can achieve what you want, but you got to go about it sometimes in the right way. And everybody's different; human beings are different, and how you approach things can can prevent you from getting what you want. And and. Great. I just, I, I would love, you know, just an opportunity to meet with them and spend some time with them because um, I, I, I see so much potential there. And there's other great leaders are the same. And you're right. A lot of them are, as I had one of the folks I interviewed say, good luck with that group. You know, they're a hard nut to crack, yeah. right? You know, you can call them if you want, but you're not going to get anywhere. And that's where we short sight ourselves because you can, you just have to put forth the effort. And... Guess what? They may be a hard nut, but in all honesty, they they want they want their agendas to be met. They want to look good. They want to be respected. And so, they everybody I've met is open to right. coaching. Is open to information. Some less than others, um, but. Again, there's, that's one reason I've, I've chosen to go the direction of the, the millennials and the future leaders is because what I see is happening, and they're, they're, they're entering the market in huge numbers. So 50%, I've heard, up to 50% of the workforce is millennials yep. and the younger. And what's happening, and I'm getting this over and over and over in the interviews, what's happening is they're getting in, and they're going for it, right? They have these passions, these desires, and there's two outcomes that are coming from it. One is either they're getting beat down, right? And I I had one who he he worked extra hours. This is a story from another leader. He went in and he he put in extra hours and he was helping others and he got called in. And he was written up and reprimanded because he was making others look bad.
1: Yeah, I've heard that that quite a lot of
2: times. Yeah, so you've got that. You're either going to beat them down and then we're just... Repeating history again. Right? We're not. We're not leading and, and developing people. We're. We're. We're making a bunch of clones that are going to continue re- to not not ex- succeed and excel. And then the other one that's happening more and more frequently is they're going. This is a video game mindset, I think. Right? If I don't like it, I'm going to die and respawn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they come into the workforce and they get a the little bit of criticism when they come in, and they're just going for it right and as soon as they get that little bit of criticism because they're criticism because they're not being taught what leadership is they're not being taught how to deal with challenge and how to rise above it they're not being taught how to coach others so they can actually coach their leaders to get what they want but they're not sticking around they're saying fine i'll go do somewhere else or i'll go start my own company and they go start or do something else, and they either have the same problems over and over, or they start a company and they don't know how to how to build it with a strong foundation, and they are setting themselves up for failure. So I really see a huge opportunity to make the biggest impact by helping the young, the new, the aspiring leaders to start off on the right foot.
1: Okay, again.
2: Why make the same mistakes? Let's get out there and make new ones, guys.
1: I agree. Now, we're, we're running really short of time, but... Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. Your book's geared towards younger professionals. Uh, yes. The book, incidentally, is Organization Culture Killers. Um, what um, What's one piece of advice that you'd give to somebody who's starting their career? If
2: starting the career is go in with an open mind and a passion to learn. You may not... Like everything you see or hear, but if you stay positive and you look at every opportunity, every failure, every criticism as an opportunity to learn and grow, you will surpass all of the current leaders today because you have the passion and you have the innovative drive. So don't let people dishearten you, but don't give up. Go in and learn. Stick with it. Um, I, I'm open on my website. Reach out and communicate with me. I'd love to just chat with you and, and help you. do. I just had one last week, you know. She called and she had an issue with her employer and she needed some support.
1: Right.
2: And I, I just worked with her for like five minutes on how to approach in a way that she could get what she needed and actually look like a rock star to her employer, to her, her boss. And she did it exactly as we talked about. She called me back and said, oh, my gosh, it worked. They're not only supportive, they're going to add this. And, you know, I got rec- I actually got accolades for it. So go in there positive, open to learn, and, uh, gosh, the world's your oyster. You, right. you you can make this place much better in the future.
1: I agree. Tabitha. thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, don't forget, go out, and buy Tabitha's new book, organization culture killers i think it'd be very interesting i'm looking forward to reading it and to contact tabitha go to hmm, i'm not sure how to say this talasa.com oh, talaser.com, oh, t-a-laser.com. <laughs> of course it is talaser.com talaser.com It's an extremely impressive website, and uh, don't forget to buy the book. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business after this short break.
0: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's
1: bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Network. And we're broadcasting right across the world today from Hollywood Boulevard, California, where technology meets entertainment. Are you a seafood fan? Do you like tartare, lemon, and plastic with your fish? Whether you like it or not, that's what you're currently getting. More than four million tons of plastic pours into marine ecosystems every year. Four million tons. We're getting to the point where there'll be no where there'll be more plastic garbage in the ocean. Than there will be fish and the top producers of plastic waste have pledged to make more of their products recyclable in the face of public outcry but their efforts are more of a david copperfield illusion than they are reality the best way to tackle the world's plastic problem is to stop making the stuff but the opposite's happening virgin plastic production is booming and expected to increase by 40% over the next decade. Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola, Nestle, the top purveyors of single-use plastic items that end up as marine debris, have pledged to make their packaging 100% recyclable, reusable, or combustible by 2025. Firstly, that's six years away, but even if you think that sounds great, When you consider that only 9% of plastics are recycled, it doesn't matter a damn if they make 100% recyclable, reusable or combustible. 91% of it's still going to end up in the ocean. There's a chronic need for better collection, sorting and recycling infrastructure and processes. Last year, the New Plastics Economy Global Commitment was created It's an international agreement signed by 290 corporations that collectively produce 20% of the world's plastic. The agreement, which sets goals for companies to recycle more and invest in closed-loop processes, is vague, doesn't set out any targets, allows signatories to sidestep the issue of new plastic production. So while many organisations are establishing recycling processes that do divert plastics from the ocean, all of these companies combined and all of these organisations combined will not make even the slightest dent in the problem of ocean plastics. And if corporations don't take responsibility for their products after they make them and after people use them, then items made from reclaimed plastics will end up right back in the ocean. And as long as we're manufacturing plastic as fast as we can, remember, up 40% at a time when the public screaming and companies are talking about recycling. Cleanup and recycling is never ever going to be enough. The virgin fossil fuel based plastic is where we definitely need to phase out. Don't make the stuff. Let's find alternatives. If we don't have to find alternatives, and the big companies, the plastic manufacturers can get away with coming up with wishy-washy agreements that don't mean anything. Say they're doing all these things and then increase manufacturing by 40%. It's all going the wrong way. Plastics have a climate impact. It's fossil fuel. There's many problems from an environmental perspective So, pressure needs to be kept up on all these companies. Every company that's making and using plastic. You know, we get excited when a a restaurant chain stops using plastic. God, it's nothing, means nothing. So, pressure needs to be kept up until virgin plastic production is dramatically reduced or eliminated. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Just, if you don't want to achieve, if you don't, just stop clogging the arteries. Get out of the way and let somebody who wants to succeed get that oxygen. It's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than to do the ordinary. Anybody, every person you pass in the street can do the ordinary. But who the hell wants to be ordinary? Who the hell wants to be normal? You've only got one life. When it's gone, it's gone. So you have to try to be as interesting and as exciting and do as many interesting things as you can. And if you try that, you'll find out that you might be a hell of a lot more amazing than you think you are. So I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I will again be broadcasting across the world from our studios on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. Don't forget to sign up for my newsletter by going to the website, bobpritchard.com. And in the meanwhile, have a great week and continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard.